Industrial Security Podcast with Andrew Ginter and Nate Nelson. Sponsored by Waterfall Security Solutions. Welcome, everybody, to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm here with Andrew Ginter, Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He is going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Andrew, how are you? I'm well. Thank you, Nate. Our guest today is Meg Duba. Meg is a recruiter at Idaho National Laboratories. She's a recruiter for uh, industrial cybersecurity people. And we talked about the market for industrial security talent at the uh, Department of Homeland Security ICS JWG show a couple of weeks ago. Let's hop right into your interview with Meg. Hello, Meg. Hi there. So can you tell me, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're here as a recruiter. Idaho National Labs, you know, sometimes comes here, sometimes speaks. This is the first time I've seen a recruiter here. What's happening? What, you know, what, what's going on that, that, uh, that you're here? Well, a large portion of, of why I'm here is simply to network and kind of ingrain myself in this uh, environment, in this industry. While I have a lot of recruiting experience, hardly any of it is focused specifically on industrial control systems, and even more granular, the cybersecurity of those industrial control systems. So um, I figured this would be a great way to kind of immerse myself in the environment, get to know some new people, shake some hands, and prove that I'm not a robot. There we go. So, I mean, in this space, we hear fairly regularly for various, you know, from, from various different authorities. I have, from personal experience, you know, learned how difficult it can be to find people with both cybersecurity and industrial. So, you know, can you let me know who are you looking for and how's it going? Well, how it's going is definitely, it's a challenge. It's, it's for sure a challenge. It's definitely a niche skill set, like you said. Um, what we'll typically do um, it's rare to find somebody who has all of the experiences that we're actually looking for. So normally what we'll do is we'll focus on somebody who has one or the other coupled with a personality that we could see ourselves working alongside every single day and fill in the gaps for the rest of it. Um, but the ideal person would be somebody who has uh, an expert level of experience with securing industrial control systems, maybe a little bit of, of public uh, mixed with private experience, and uh, of course somebody who's affordable and willing to relocate to Idaho Falls. Love the Idaho Falls. <laughs> it's uh, now I've, I've been to Idaho Falls. Uh, Idaho Falls. It's a uh, it's a it's a lovely place. It's it's just a little remote, but. It's, it, that, it's that way by design. I mean, you know, Idaho National Labs is a major lab. You guys run a nuclear reactor. We do. We do. Um, and, you know, it is definitely remote. Um, we, I want to say that we have about 900 square miles. And, um, you know, a lot of what we do needs to be done out at the desert where there's a natural barrier. So that's uh, partially by design of course. Um, but yeah, we, uh, I believe it was an ARCO where we actually had the first nuclear reactor. Hopefully I'm not misspeaking here. I don't want to embarrass my company. <laughs> That's okay. Back to the topic here. We're, we're, uh, you know, I have an opportunity here to, to ask you as a, an expert about recruiting and, you know, the cybersecurity workforce. We hear tales of how difficult it is to find people, um, is there really a shortage out there, or is, is something else going on? What do you think? I don't think there's a shortage in cybersecurity proper, 
but the specific type of folks who we're looking for with the you know the ICS and, and uh, more of the embedded systems that's where it gets difficult we are working really closely with a lot of universities uh, a lot of universities do are starting to have these cybersecurity degree programs, which is lovely, but it's not necessarily the area that we're trying to to pull from. So we do work with a lot of universities to kind of help develop their curriculum and build the next generation of uh, of these folks. So, Nate, if an organization as prestigious, as high-profile as Idaho National Labs has trouble finding people from time to time, you know, what hope have the rest of us who are, are looking for some of this talent as well? And, you know, I do from time to time. Right. I think you actually hit on it uh, in your discussion with Meg. You know, as a young person in the workforce, I can tell you that there's no podcast company that could get me to move out into the middle of Idaho. Um, So maybe no matter what the nature of her firm is, just the function of how remotely they are located tends to work against them. Uh, It does. And, you know, Meg came back to that later in the in the the podcast. So um, I'll leave that for now. She'll speak to that. Um, I did want to point out that the person they're looking for uh, is hard to find. She's you know, she's looking for an expert in cybersecurity and an expert in industrial security or rather industrial control systems. And, you know. It's hard to find experts with one degree of specialization. Finding, you know, those with two fields is is even harder. You know, I speak from experience. Um, But it goes the other way, too. I I work with students sometimes, and they have trouble finding these positions, much less, you know, getting interviewed for them. So that was my next question for Meg. I teach a course at uh, remotely at, at Michigan Technological University. A question that every class of students asks me every time I teach is, so who's looking for people? Where are these jobs? You know, is there really a market for this, for this, this expertise? And one of the challenges I have is I go to the job boards. I go to LinkedIn. I go to Monster. I go to whatever. And I search for industrial cybersecurity. I search for SCADA security. I search for industrial control system security. And I don't find any jobs. Mm-hmm. Yet I know people are looking. Have you posted these jobs? What do you call this? What, what should people be looking for if they're trying to find a position in this field? Well, you're absolutely right. I don't recall any of the positions actually having control systems in, or very few of them, rather. Um, but normally what we're calling them is is cybersecurity analysts or something similar to that, which can be a, middle, a little misleading, definitely. Um, but yes, we do post all of our jobs. I want to say at this time we have probably 300. Now all of those aren't in my realm, Um but that's that's a good point to bring up. I do think that perhaps we could uh, catch more fish if we were uh, a little more detailed in the actual description itself, or the title, rather. What skills are you looking for? I mean, there's an owner and operator would be looking for someone to you know, get in their hands-on and secure things. Is that what you do, or are you more on the incident response side, or what, what are you looking for? We uh, do have hunt and incident response teams to go out more on a, a reactive basis. So stuff is definitely going to go wrong. You can't prevent everything, so we do have those people to go out. But we also have people to go out on a more proactive basis to um, the different owners and operators, different companies, different clients, to do assessments, determine where the weaknesses are, and to work closely with uh, the customers to 
uh, kind of strengthen those systems, make them stronger, and prevent uh, attacks from happening. Okay, so um, you're looking for specific kinds of people, but you're you're aware of you know the market overall. Let me ask you sort of two questions, if you can tackle them both. Um, if you know, again, I have students that I'm working with. There's people who are entering the field. Um, and they always want to know what can they do to make themselves more marketable, both to you with your specific needs or more generally with your, your knowledge of the marketplace. What is seen as uh, valuable attributes in the marketplace? Sure. So um, something that I asked pre- or prior to ever coming to Idaho National Lab whenever I was uh, recruiting more technical or for more technical positions, regardless of whether they were entry level or senior, is um, I always want to know what you do in your spare time. What separates you? Are, are you doing this just as a, as a nine to five, um, or are you doing this because you're truly passionate about it? And I was pleased to see that a lot of the managers who interview at INL ask similar questions. So that's kind of across the board. Um, and with, with these students, there are lots and lots of graduates. So if you come up and you don't have a, a general or if you if you only have a general idea of what you want, if I say, what, what do you want to do? And you say, cybersecurity. Well, that's a very broad answer. I ideally would like it if you could trim it down a little bit and kind of give me an idea. What aspect of cybersecurity are you... Uh, Are you building systems in your basement? Are you trying to break your own networks? Are you uh, playing around with Raspberry Pis or Arduinos? Um, I want to get an idea of what it is you do technically as a hobby. Um, Another way that people can kind of hone in a little bit, and this is tiresome, I know that, but with the the resume is typically the first place that somebody gets noticed. Um, So tailoring a resume to every single position for which you apply, again, tiresome, totally get that, but it's definitely very important. Um, Sending out a generalized resume to a bunch of different companies who do a bunch of different things uh, is, is kind of a great way to shoot yourself in the foot. It's fair. I mean, when I used to do recruiting for, for you know, people doing programming, I had, had much of the same approach. Can you give examples? I mean, you, let, let's talk students, people fresh into the marketplace. You said you'd like them to, to have some, some pet projects, some specific interests. Can you give examples of that? What are you talking about? Sure, absolutely. Um, so one example, I was recruiting a candidate for a junior position and I asked him, you know, the question, so what do you do outside of work or outside of school? And he had programmed his George Foreman grill to talk to his phone to let his phone know whenever the meat inside had reached a certain temperature. And similarly, he had done something uh, with his dryer to let his phone know whenever there was five minutes left on the cycle so we could go down and take the clothes out before they got cold and wrinkled. Now, was this an applicant for a a security position? Because that doesn't sound like a security project. That just sounds like a project. It was just fun stuff that he did in his spare time. It wasn't for a security-specific uh, position. It was for a software um, engineering position. So let me ask you, um, if you had the same approach saying, you know, I'm a tinkerer, here's evidence of that, uh, for a security applicant, would you look for sort of pet projects that are uh, closely related to security or would would this kind of applicant still appeal to you and and why? Yeah, I don't think we would necessarily look for, you know, them to have the the exact experience with what are 
you know, the, the hobby experience with what we're specifically doing in the lab, particularly because a lot of it is secret. Um, but it's just that innate curiosity that we're interested in. And um, somebody who isn't going to finish a project and then, you know, just start reading a book because there's nothing else to do. Somebody who's going to try to figure out what else they can work on, who else they can help, and who's just so thirsty for knowledge and, and learning new things that um, they kind of manage themselves. I'm going to hop in quickly here. Andrew, you have some experience doing this very thing. Can you talk about your experience with with hiring? I can. Um, And surprisingly, I have kind of the same approach. Uh, You know, I use it now when I'm hiring. uh, But I remember back in the day, this was 20 years ago, I was working at Hewlett Packard. I I was uh, responsible for a team of software developers developing SCADA systems. And, you know, these were complicated systems, millions of lines of code, real time, you know, they had to be right. And so we'd want very talented people. And I would ask all of my candidates about what they did on the side, hoping they would tell me they had a pet project of some sort. And I would, you know, dig into that. And in a sense, it didn't matter if they were building games, if they were building graphics, if they were building, you know, back in the day, bulletin board software, um, it showed that they had an interest and almost any one of those interests was, you know, somehow related to some part of the SCADA system. SCADA systems are big. They have communications, they have graphics, they have a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, it, it's, I was looking for the difference, in my terminology, it was the difference between skill and talent. Skill and knowledge are stuff you acquire. You learn those things. Talent is what interests you. Talent is what you like. Talent is what you naturally learn more about because you're interested, because you want to learn more about it. It's easier to become an expert at something when you've got a talent, an interest that's pulling you in in some area. Okay, so that's drawing talent, but what about retaining talent? Yeah, well, you know... You can, you really, there's, there's two ways to manage a team. You can either try to make your people as interchangeable as possible. It, it simplifies project management because now everyone can kind of do a little of everything and you can put anyone you want on a project and it kind of makes progress the same as if anybody else was on it. it uh, you know, it, it opens up options when you start running short on time and you can, you can rearrange things very easily. But my own preference was always the opposite. I preferred to manage a team of experts. Ideally, you know, externally recognized experts, internationally recognized experts. To do that, you have to give people opportunities to develop. You have to send them to training. You have to give them projects in their field of expertise. You, you, you might have to send them externally to contribute to standards and, and efforts like this outside of the business. Um, so it costs to build that kind of expertise. But then you have a team full of experts working for you. And if I may, that, you know, that has its own problems. Because <laughs> now, you've, bluntly, you've got to pay them more. <laughs> and you've got, to, you know, you've got to keep them around. You've got to keep them happy. And they're no longer interchangeable. The guru does certain things much better than everybody else. And everyone's a guru, ideally, in their own field. But you wind up, in my experience, with a a much more capable team. And it all starts with, uh, as Meg was saying, 
the pet projects, the interest identifying talents that are in line with, you know, at least remotely aligned with uh, the uh, the needs of the business and and the role. Right, and those business decisions, those are the problems that you want to have. Those are the good problems. Absolutely, you can either have a the, the problem of people being interchangeable and you know sort of having a mediocre team that sort of puts along. Or you can have a bunch of stars working for you, and, and it's a different set of problems. But boy, do they produce! And you know, I'd rather I'd rather have the second set of problems. When I you know when I Google um, cybersecurity, I get gazillions of hits. When I Google industrial cybersecurity or control system cybersecurity or SCADA security, I get a much smaller number of hits. So it, it seems to me, I mean, that's a, it's a very crude ruler, but it, you know, by that ruler, there seems to be uh, a much greater interest and presumably a much greater population of industrial people or security people than there are industrial security people, uh, which suggests, I mean, this is something else my students always ask me about, it suggests that you know, if you want one of these jobs, um, you might need to move. Do you have any insight into... Um, how widespread this is is you know do, do you see people in this industry moving around more than 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 not is this is this a requirement if you want to be in this sort of specialty uh i would say yes um a lot of these events that i go to uh, i've noticed that a lot of the vendors are from eastern uh states so if you're lucky enough to be born and raised in one of those areas then probably no you wouldn't have to relocate but I would say probably 99% of the people we recruit at INL are transplants. Um, and knowing that, we realize that we have to work really hard on making the the relocation process as easy as possible. And we're, we're definitely second to none. I've worked for, for much larger companies, and I think the top reload package I saw was $2,000. Um, my reload package alone was $60,000. Wow. And they made it very easy. Um, you know, they shipped my cars for me. They packed up my house for me. They gave me a large percentage of the sale price of my home. And normally when I talk to new people, that's the first question they have is, do I have to relocate? And my answer always starts with yes, but. Um, and then when I talk for a solid 10 minutes about all of the different perks that we have, um, it's less terrifying. So I joke that the relocation package is what gets people to INL, and the mission is what keeps people at INL. That's why I relocated about a year ago. Well, it it is an important mission, but INL is Idaho National Labs. It's one of the national labs. You know, there's a, a I think it's it's a prestigious assignment as well. Do you find that that that, that helps you? Absolutely. Um, we, we definitely have a lot of name recognition. So I've been with the lab for about, a, for about a year. And in that time, I've attended several of these events. And I'll walk around with, you know, my, my badge on. And, and people will come up to me and approach me and talk about what a great name we have and how, how amazing our work is and how they've, they've taken our classes, our 301 classes, and how helpful it was. They want to send their students they want to learn more. They're asking for creating more classes. So I definitely think that that has a really strong bearing on uh, grabbing people's attention. And there is a lot of brain power at INL. Lots of really, really intelligent people working on really cool stuff. Now, Andrew, you and Meg are talking a lot about INL and the prestige associated with that organization. 
Uh, I myself, I don't know anything about them. Can you clue me in? Uh, sure. Um, Idaho National Labs is, uh, in my understanding, has a, a contract from the Department of Homeland Security, a mandate to host the Industrial Control System Cyber Emergency Response Team, the ICS CERT. This is a national uh, body that serves all of the United States. Um, you know, when, when there are serious incidents in industrial control systems, this is the body. You know, they've got the flyaway teams. They, they, uh, they analyze the threats. They publish uh, information for industrial control systems. One of the things that they're, you know, that, that organization, in addition to all of that, one of the things they're known by or known for in the industry is hosting advanced training. So I took their week-long advanced training. Uh, it's basically red team, blue team training. They, uh, they teach you how to defend systems. They teach you how to attack systems. They split the class and say, okay, here's a system. They've got an industrial control system. They've got a physical process it's controlling. Um, you know, they have attack computers. They've got defensive systems, which are a little bit miscalibrated. And now the attackers are finding a way in. The defenders are detecting them, and they go at it. And... This is important. I mean, I took that class, and to me, the reason for taking it, my reason was that I had, you know, been doing defense for many years, but I was weak on, you know, how these attacks work. And so I went there, you know, I, I requested to be assigned to the red team, and I learned. And, you know, I, I, I rapidly concluded that, you know, this is good stuff. Understanding what the bad guys are doing is essential to evaluating the effectiveness of uh, cyber defenses, to designing effective uh, cyber defenses. You know, understanding attacks is vital to planning defenses. And with that, we're coming up on the end of your interview with Meg. Let's cut back to your final discussion. We always try to leave the, uh, you know, our guests with the last word. Is there a message you'd like to, to leave with, with our listeners? Well, like I said a second ago, the, the first part of every conversation is overcoming, you know, the objection. So I guess what I can say to everybody is a conversation isn't a commitment. So if you're ever interested about potentially working for the INL, definitely, definitely have a conversation with me. doesn't have to lead anywhere, but I think that I could pique your interest enough uh, to, to try to get you to come out just with the different offerings that we have and the fact that you would be a part of a, a world-class team. So Meg is a characteristically different guest than we typically have on this show, being on the business side of things. That's right. Uh, you know, she's she's all about the people. People are part of the uh, the, the program here. But and, and uh, you know, that's a good reason to have her on the show. I had another reason. You know, uh, almost a selfish reason. All of our listeners are in the field of industrial security to to one degree or another. Um, you know, all of us who really like the field, who want to stay in the field. Well, you know. In, in the modern world, uh, work is not forever. Um, from time to time, we find ourselves looking for the next position. Um, here's a guest who's on the other side of the, the equation, who's, who's in a position of hiring uh, with concrete tips for, uh, you know, that, that we can all use the next time all of us are out there, uh, you know, looking for, for the next opportunity. So 
she's showing a side of the of, of the security program, but she's also giving you know uh, concrete insights to to all of us. You know, the next time we're out there, and, and these things happen. Right now, to sum it up, there is presumably going to be a superstar cybersecurity analyst in the making listening to this show. What is the bottom line lesson for that individual? I think there's there's two sort of uh, maybe three concrete lessons come out of out of uh, Meg that, that I'm taking away. Um, you know, one was uh, her tip about highlight uh, your interests, highlight what you do in your spare time, start a spare time project. If you're interested in something, do something about it. Demonstrate you you can become an expert. Uh, it's it's not just you know Meg who 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 looks for that characteristic. I looked for it. If you know, she says her own her own hiring managers look for that characteristic. Um, you know, we've got you know three data points here. It's it's the beginning of a trend. You know, so there's a concrete tip. Um, you know, the other one is when you're looking for this kind of position, um, look for sort of traditional IT security job titles, but you know, read the body for industrial. And the third thing that I got out of it was sort of the obvious, the, the point that Meg came back to a couple of times, which is um, if you want an opportunity to work with some of the best in the country, frankly, give her a call. They have positions open. And, uh, you know, let her make the case that, uh, that you know, relocation to, to Idaho Falls is something you might actually uh, benefit from. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a, a concrete tip for everyone who's out either in the market right now, today. On that note, thanks so much to Meg Duba for sitting with you. And thank you, Andrew, for sitting with me. Uh, thanks, Nate. It's always a pleasure. We'll uh, catch you next time. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast. Until next time.